This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. When we think about health equity as a goal, we're working towards an ideal state where all people, regardless of their social circumstance, have the opportunity to achieve their full health potential. It's an ideal state that we're working towards. And it's also a process as well. It becomes how we do the work, not just the goal that we're working to achieve. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Jamie Zage. Health equity remains a popular and important topic, and I am excited today to have my colleagues, Carol Kapaski and Stephanie Snyder, here with me to share their insights. Carol is a principal with SG2's intelligence team, and Stephanie is a consulting director. Carol's led our health equity and social determinant work for a number of years, and Stephanie has partnered with her perspective from behavioral health and primary care. Excited to have you both here today. Why is addressing health equity so urgent today? That's a great question, Jamie. The urgency has existed for many years. There's certainly a long legacy of inequity within the healthcare space in our country. The events of the pandemic and certainly the murder of George Floyd really propelled health equity to the forefront of conversation in the healthcare space. And we've seen a really dramatic shift in that acceptance and that promotion of advancing health equity within our health system partners. Increasingly, this is a top priority for many health systems across the country. We've seen this become a focus for strategic planning, as well as commitments to anti-racism initiatives and other community partnerships to help advance health equity. Certainly, the events of the pandemic in the last couple of years have accelerated and put a spotlight on a problem that has existed for a very long time. And what's encouraging to me is that commitment that we're seeing, that consistent commitment from health systems, that this is a priority they're embedding into their strategic plans going forward. And we know that different racial groups, Latinos, Blacks, and others have different health outcomes compared to whites. Even females have different outcomes compared to males in some circumstances. When we start to think about that from a strategic and financial aspect, organizations are rightfully asking the question, not only is it the right thing to do ethically, but it also impacts length of stay, margin, and safety outcomes within the organization itself. And Stephanie, I think those external pressures, that's something that we talked about a little bit during the health equity breakout session during the executive summit. And even in recent weeks, we're starting to hear from the Joint Commission, they're incorporating health equity questions into their accreditation pathways. We're seeing CMS continue to emphasize the importance of health equity and continuing to push on metrics associated with health equity going forward. We're going to increasingly see not only that internal commitment from our health system members to advance health equity for their communities to address the exact clinical challenges that you're describing, but we're also seeing that external pressure to keep this top of mind going forward. One of the things that also we mentioned at the exec summit was the idea that organizations, as they create these downward pressures related to health equity, they're starting to drive a particular narrative. And so the choices really come down to the outside organizations and their pressures can drive the narrative, or we as organizations within ourselves can drive the narrative, which is probably the goal of most of us because we can drive it in a way that makes sense, is more representative of the work that you're doing, and is a more favorable. View. 
that's especially important when we're thinking about some of those pressure points we're seeing on community benefit. We know that there's data suggesting the tax benefit that especially non-for-profit health systems receive continues to lag the tax breaks that they do receive from their communities at the local level as well as the state and federal level. What we're increasingly seeing is that health systems have many ways that they're supporting their communities. They can be supporting them through partnerships with community-based organizations. They can be supporting them through efforts to invest in the community infrastructure, investing in community health initiatives. And those may not be captured in the traditional calculations of community benefit. Part of this work and part of what we're seeing health systems really focusing on doing is finding ways to better measure the impact that they're having on their communities and target initiatives to those whose needs are greatest in their community and trying to find ways to get stakeholder buy-in to quantify what that impact could be so they can have those effective conversations, not only with their community stakeholders to demonstrate the successes they've been having, but also to help build sustainable support for these initiatives and continuing to pursue these initiatives especially in a difficult financial landscape, getting that buy-in from senior leaders across the internal systems as well. Wow, you talked a lot there about partnering with the community. And I know you both have been thinking about how that needs to evolve. You touched on that a little bit. Is there more that organizations can be doing to shift how they look at their role in supporting health equity in their community? it's one where we see an evolution, not unlike what we see in some other areas like virtual health. I actually think about this a little bit, how a children's hospital partners with their community. We've seen an evolution of evaluating partnerships more thoroughly and ensuring that the partnerships we select are mutually beneficial for both the community-based organization as well as the health system to advance the health system specific goals. And this mirrors the children's hospital model too, where we're seeing there may have been a period in the past where we want it to be partners with everyone. We want it to be everything to everyone. We want it to have those different relationships with different stakeholders in the community because those relationships were always perceived as positive relationships. And that is true to some extent. But as we look to be more targeted and investing strategically in advancing health equity for our communities, identifying the right partner and that best partner and ensuring that that partner can not only support the goals that we're both working to pursue, but that they have the funding and the ability to be a good partner to both the health system and that the health system has real opportunities to be a good partner to them, whether that's offering resources or co-planning, writing grants, whatever that may be. Organizations today are focusing more on what is the strategic nature of the partnership? How can we put more rigor around that partnership, ensure that we have ways to share data, a way to measure effectively the progress that we're both making so that the long-term sustainability for both that community-based organization and the organization's initiative those goals are being met. When we think about examples of how organizations have been working to reach out into the community and better understand who might those new partners be or are the partners we're choosing the ones that are going to get us the most effective result for our community, we're seeing more effort from the health systems to really understand who are those community partners, not necessarily those usual suspects like the national organizations or regional organizations or even some government entities, but really looking to find those unique local partners that are probably doing extremely valuable work in their community and have that trust of the community members themselves. 
Some of the best examples that I've seen of local partnerships involve health organizations working with schools. That's one example in Columbus, Ohio, Nationwide Children's Hospital partners with schools. In South Carolina, MUSC has a strong partnership with schools. They deliver virtual health to children right in the school system. So it's beneficial to the parents. The child has access to medical care that it would not otherwise access. And the child never has to miss school. The parent never has to miss work. So those are fairly easy opportunities to start to think about partnering. We've also seen a lot of partnerships with law enforcement when it comes to tackling substance abuse in the community. And when this happens, really joining together the forces to create a mutually beneficial win for the community is key. When we look at these partnerships with law enforcement, we see things like a reduced number of law enforcement FTEs ultimately that are being leveraged because the substance use crisis starts to be mitigated in other ways. They're not just picking somebody up, dropping them at jail. They're not dropping them straight to the ED. It affects the FTEs of the law enforcement. It affects the ED utilization. Emergency departments are no longer constantly clogged with patients. It's just beneficial for the community in general when individuals out in our world are healthy and on the right track socially. Carol, I've heard you talk about the social return on investment. How are health systems defining their own SROI? What are you seeing in the marketplace? It's a really important question and one that our health system partners are really grappling with today. What we've seen so far is that the drive to leverage our SOI is really driven by needing to demonstrate impact and value to stakeholders both inside the health system as well as outside the health system. For social return on investment, these calculations tend to be pretty complex at this point. So we see organizations who are developing these models, working very closely with the external stakeholders in the community to understand the community impact and what are those measures that are important to quantify on the community side, but also recognizing those measures that are important to the health system itself, like reduced readmissions or reduced ER utilization. Bringing together those clinical cost reduction data points as well as metrics that can be tracking employment, like new jobs created or jobs retained, ability for a community to see greater investment or spending in a local area. So the kind of measuring the economic activity that's supported by an initiative is one way to do it. Looking to quantify indirect health impacts. So looking at things like quality of life improvements or quantity of life improvements. Those are other ways that we're seeing folks try to quantify that impact. The economic tends to be the most straightforward because those calculations exist in other areas. By bringing all of those different pieces together, all of those impacts that the stakeholders across the board can agree on as being impacted by the initiative itself, bringing those together and then generating a calculation based upon those agreed upon metrics over the time period of the initiative. The challenge with this is that it is complex. It's unique to the specific intervention and also the specific community. So the way to measure that impact is often very localized. So that makes scaling that SROI a challenge. Another piece of why that can be a challenge is that it's not the typical math that we are associating with return on investment for our programmatic initiative. So as we're thinking about investing the time into developing an SROI methodology for the initiative that we're working with, it's really important to have those folks, especially on the finance side, bought into the SROI calculation as a demonstration of ROI and impact because it's not necessarily 
necessarily going to be quantifying the traditional contribution margin associated with an initiative. There is a little bit of a culture change necessary to support using the SROI or another way we're seeing that is the health impact assessment as well. So there's a couple of different methodologies out there. Unfortunately, they're not super straightforward, but they are worth the investment to build that case for sustaining investment over the long term. But the real key is making sure that you have stakeholder buy-in up front on all fronts for that long-term sustainability. Some of this data sounds like it may be a challenge to collect. Any strategies to make sure you'll be able to capture that data that you need to support that ROI measurement? On the internal side, there are increasingly more systems in place. The bigger challenge most health systems face is coming up with data collection training to support the collection of demographic data, as well as SDOH or or social needs data for the individual patient. So having a consistent approach to collecting that data, ensuring that the folks on the front line who are collecting the data have the necessary training to collect that effectively, and that you're on the back end validating the accuracy of your data are all very critical pieces at the beginning end of that data journey. And that's where we see a lot of folks that we work with at today. We actually see for those nonprofit health systems that do a community health needs assessment, you often are collecting community data reliably through that methodology. And we've encouraged folks to start there with the data you've already brought in-house to complete that assessment. We talk a lot with our members, and there's a great example from Baycare in the Tampa area of Florida, who moved their community health needs assessment beyond that checkbox regulatory commitment to something that was much more data-driven, much more of an investment on their end to ensure that they were collecting really accurate data and worked with the community to improve the quality of the data they were collecting, especially on the survey data side. That effort, that commitment to collecting, especially community feedback data or survey data in a consistent way that's also representative of the community, you're largely doing a lot of that work already. So we strongly encourage that being a good place to start. There are many other data sources that can work to provide some insight into community data. And on the Vizient side, we have the Vizient Vulnerability Index, which can help organizations really understand the unique social determinants at the zip code level for their community. We certainly have a favoring of that index to better understand community need. Having that consistent approach is really the key to bringing these different data pieces together, knowing what you're trying to measure and what that outcome is, and then having the flexibility to iterate as you're working to make sure that you can adjust what you're measuring over time and confirm that what you're measuring is helping you get to the goal of your initiative. Circling back to the SROI discussion Some organizations would think, if I want to quantify the social impact to add that to the traditional ROI margin, how do I do that? That's when it gets a little bit trickier. And so organizations like Bon Secours have been able to quantify that through assigning proxy values. And those proxy values came through a number of sources, secondary research, government databases, again, talking to stakeholders and getting their buy-in and helping to assign values together as a community. And through that, they were able to really develop that concept of SROI, which again helps measure the return on investment as well as the social impact that you're having on your community We know that it's more than just money in and money out. When we're developing these programs, it really has significant impacts on the community, and it's important to take a look at that as well. 
One of the other concepts that I've heard you introduce is this idea that health equity is more than just a goal. It's also a process. Tell us a little bit more about that and how can we embed health equity in that strategic planning piece and those operational activities to make it more of that process? When we think about health equity as a goal, we're working towards an ideal state where all people, regardless of their social circumstance, have the opportunity to achieve their full health potential. It's an ideal state that we're working towards and we're working to alleviate those inequities that prevent people from being able to achieve that ideal health state. When we think about it as a process, taking the time to apply a health equity lens to all of the work that we're doing, it becomes how we do the work, not just the goal that we're working to achieve. If you think about that as an example, when we're starting to do some of our market analysis, speaking to the strategic planning audience here, when we start to evaluate the placement of an asset within a new market or considering a new market to enter into for outreach or improved access, our typical go-tos are to look for population growth. What's the demographics growth look like? What is the income available in that community? Is it a kind of well-resourced community from an income perspective? What's our commercial pay percentage? So what is the payer mix and is it favorable in that community? And then also looking at what is the service growth projection? So are we expecting the demand for the service we're hoping to provide to be growing in that market that we're evaluating? What we would encourage our strategists to do to apply a health equity lens is to take that analysis a step deeper and maybe ask some additional questions to help make those decisions about where is going to be the most impactful place to consider placing an asset. Things like when we're looking at demographic data, can we actually look at different demographic groups? Are there unique opportunities for specific demographics that may not be historically served as well by our health system in the past? Is there any social needs that are not being met in that community? Do we have a food desert or a healthcare desert that we could be looking to alleviate by strategically placing an asset or pairing the asset with additional resources? What is the transportation situation like in the market that we're considering? Are we going to need to plan for supplemental transportation because we don't have a robust public transit system? Or we know that in that community, access to cars is less readily available than it is in other markets. Are there solutions that we can either be putting in place alongside the healthcare access point that we're looking to place there? Or is there an opportunity to place a resource in an area that's been historically under-resourced so we can ensure that populations that may not be as well served by our system today can be better served in the future? It's in some ways asking the question and taking that time to look into where are there disparities today in how we're serving our patients? And then digging a little bit deeper to understand, is the source of that disparity rooted in an inequity that we can work to address? Or is it a disparity that we're going to just be aware of and acknowledge, but could be rooted in just, for example, disease prevalence trends? It's taking that extra time, beginning to disaggregate our data to better understand who are the different populations that we're serving and how are we serving them? And is there a difference there? And then working to understand what is the root cause of those differences that we're seeing? If there were one key thing that you would have our listeners do to advance their health equity strategy, what would it be? I think the one big thing that we've learned over the last year working with members is that a small step is better than no steps. Advancing health equity is a journey that we strongly encourage all of our members to undertake. 
at the same time, there's a lot of opportunity to act and attempting to solve all of the problems or seize all of the opportunities that are available is going to be difficult to sustain long term. Building from positions of strength, knowing what you do well today and beginning with a step that allows you to capitalize on your successes and allows you to act quickly to make an impact is in the long term going to lead to more steps forward and a more sustainable path towards advancing health equity, as opposed to trying to go too big too fast. Much like we say with other strategic planning exercises, this is a stepwise process. We want to take that first step on the journey, but we want to make sure that each step forward we take is supported by the work that we're doing today. Small steps and building those competencies is the point I would love people to take away. One of the takeaways that I would mention is the opportunity to partner in your local community. And ultimately, the goal there is to not feel like you need to do it all yourself. It's a big process. It's a big goal. It's going to take a long time. You can think about it as a marathon and not a sprint. Having a lot of community partners in your back pocket can be really beneficial. Also, I think it's important as you're looking in the community to not overlook the potential of partnering with your strategic competitors. Count those frenemies as potential partners in your strategic work. For example, there's an organization in Arizona who, through community partnerships, was able to collect $100 million and create a behavioral health crisis intervention program. That crisis intervention program is now nationally regarded and is currently being developed in five other states because the outcomes are so favorable. Ultimately, it came back to the idea that one organization couldn't pony up that $100 million on their own, and so it took numerous organizations coming together, and the results for the community have been very favorable. So it really went beyond the hospital walls and does impact the greater society. Thank you both so much for your time today, Carol and Stephanie. It's always a pleasure to have you on SG2 Perspectives. I'm sure our listeners appreciate all the insights that you shared with us today. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Visient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at visientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.